doing? So far, so good. Doesn't it feel nice to have these cool evenings and mornings, and then yet it warms up in the day? I, I, I'm wondering if we're going to actually have like a real fall this year instead of just all snow coming. How many of you would vote for that? I, I would, too. I'm, I'm loving that. But anyway, it is just great to see you. We uh, so enjoy. Thanks, thanks for being here at Timberline. We are in a series that is pretty challenging. It's uh, this whole set and everything. We're talking about uh, Esther and what, what a lady she was. Now, if you are new to Timberline or you weren't here last weekend, let me just kind of give you a, an up-to-date on what's going on with, with this story. It's, it's a book in the Bible called Esther. And it's about a king named Xerxes. If, if the Bible used the word jerk, it would have that word next to this guy's name. In my humble opinion. Alright? He is not a good king. He is not a godly king. And uh, you'll see that today. It's pretty aggra- aggravating, actually. But um, last week we talked about power, the abuse of power, and the issues that is putting Esther in a very unique place. And um, today we have this daunting task of talking about what lust does. And it's, it's not an easy subject to talk about, but it's something we need to talk about. And, and we need to be very real about our culture. The sex industry is alive and well. And, and I just need to say on the outset, I know lust can be used as a positive word. You're lusting after more of God or you're lusting after an object or something that can be good. But today, I'm using it in the sense of something negative and, and not just something materialistic, but sexual lust. Because that's what the story is about. If this sermon probably is sort of rated like a PG-13 or, or even more because we're going to talk pretty openly and bluntly about it because that's the text. And <laughs> these, I tried to give this to like Jeff or Rob or somebody and they're like, no, dude, this is yours, okay? <laughs> so is, I'm kidding. I didn't try to give it away. But I, it is a challenge. And, and I think we can learn a lot. Would you agree that our culture is fueled by lust and sexuality? Just the issues that we face. Now, as we talk about this, it's going to stir up a lot of things for many of you. And, and I want to first of all say, we need to make sure, we call this our living room, that this is a safe place for you. That we're not trying to put shame on you or dig stuff up in your life. For some of you who have scars in your life because of lust or adultery or sex outside of marriage or uh, pornography, all, all the stuff that we're going to talk about today... If that's been under the blood of Jesus and you've moved on, and even though there may be a scar or some hurt, do not redig that up today. Amen? Don't let Satan pull that out and rattle it in front of you. That's not what today's for. However, it's imperative for us to talk about this issue in the light of Esther. To understand the story of Esther, you must read chapter 2. And chapter 2 really tells what it was like for, these, for this kingdom and for these women. I, uh, I was told a few weeks ago, interesting, uh, and I wish I could remember who it was. I, I'm thinking it might have been Pastor Mark, but I'm going to find out for sure. He said, I saw in a grocery store a sign that says, family-friendly aisle, checkout. And he, he, I'm thinking, what does that mean? It's free? I'll go for that. Is that mean? No, it's not what it means. He, he said he asked him what it meant, and... The clerk said, it means that we don't display any magazines 
or journals in the racks by this checkout station. Now, I'm not talking about what we would call pornographic magazines. I'm just talking about typical uh, beauty magazines, muscle magazines, magazines that might just have what some would call eye candy on the cover. Um, you know, people who are posing or half-dressed or whatever. Just the covers of normal, quote, normal magazines that grocery stores have said, we are going to take those out because they're a little too revealing for certain ages in the grocery store with their parents. Does that strike you as, I'm thankful for that, but does, does it strike you as odd at all that in, in mainstream America we're, we're having to have family-friendly aisles just because the covers of magazines might be inappropriate for children? Is that odd to you? It's just it's one of those things that I want us to be aware of, and, and we navigate through this all the, all the time. And with computers and all the stuff going on, it's just amazing. So, so here we go. I'm, I apologize in advance for blowing up the story. If some of you thought that, that Xerxes was a great king and Esther and he fell in love and they had coffee every morning and prayed together and had devotions and they had nice tea in the afternoon and all of that, because it ain't that. All right? So I apologize to blow your, your story. Because I remember Sunday school was, you know, a little flannel graph and Esther's here and they put the little the, the, the crown on her head and it's all happy and it's all good. But you're, you're about to see otherwise. First thing in your notes, I hope you'll write this down. Number one, lust always has a new idea. Lust always has a new idea. It never runs out of ideas. If you look at the history that... that you know, it's clear back from the very beginning. Uh, sexual sin goes way back. And then all the ways in which people have participated in sexual sin and lust is just unbelievable at this point in our culture. Too many to even list. But in Esther chapter 2, verse 1, keep your Bibles open and follow along. Here we go. But after Xerxes, and by the way, uh, Vashti has been removed from being the queen. He's uh, taken her out and now... They're going to look for a new queen. After Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree that he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, Let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king. So, yeah, no wonder. So he put the plan into effect. Now, when I, when I read that and you think about this whole scenario, you realize, okay, the, the king is sad. Okay, he's going through a tough time. Maybe Vashti's gone. Maybe he had feelings for her. He's reminiscing. Wouldn't you think that the people he had around him, his advisors, would have offered something else as a, as a better idea? I mean, how many, how many of you have ever gotten down a little bit? You know, what do you do to kind of to get back up? How many of you go shopping? Shopping helps you. Yeah, okay, okay. You just go out. For me, I can just go, to a, go look at motorcycles. 
And I mean, I don't have to buy a thing, but just seeing these bikes, I just feel like, okay, God is with me again. There, there is a God. You know what I mean? Uh, for some of you, it's just looking around at material things or whatever, which, good or bad, it's just how we are. Why didn't someone just say to the king, oh, you know what, why don't we get some new furniture for the castle? Why don't we, why don't we paint some walls? Why don't we do a home makeover here or a castle makeover? It's just so you don't have to live in this depression. Why don't, why did it have to be, we're gonna go find young virgins from across the provinces. We're gonna take them out of their homes and we're gonna bring them and put them in a harem and you're gonna sleep with them whenever you, you want. And the king goes, oh, that's really a great idea. I like this. See, Lust always has a new idea. And it's constantly going to another level, a more oppressive level. You'll see as we go through the story. Number two, lust has a a far-reaching impact. All right? A far-reaching impact. And, And for those people who say, well, you know, this is just my issue. Don't bug me. This is my private world. Don't tell me what I can do, what I can look at. No, you need to know something. Lust is not just a solo act. Lust involves thousands of people, and and it's like a wave that that hits a ton of stuff. Let's look at it. Verse 5. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. Now, he's going to be kind of the hero of the story with us. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and uh, Shammai. His family had been among those who, with King uh, Jehoiakim, of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called, everybody say it with me, Esther. Here we go. Here comes Esther in the story. When her father and mother uh, died, I want you to make note of that, Esther was an orphan. Mordecai, who was an older cousin, adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly, I think, you know, as opposed to what? He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace. And he moved her with her maids into the best place in the harem. Can you see the pecking orders here lining up? Can you see what kind of culture we are talking about? It's not just a harem. It's this harem and it's this special place. And if you, if you really have this, then you get this. And let me give you some servants to go with that. It's, it's really over the top. And what I've done in your outline, I think it's four or five things that I want to talk about just for a second of those people impacted by the ramifications of this story. Just to show you, it's not just only Esther. But number one in your outline is those impacted are simply the victims uh, themselves. The victims themselves. Lust always has victims. And there are people who pay a price for someone else's wants and desires and or perversions. To think that that's just left alone and it's just one person is a lie. It's one of the lies our culture wants us to believe. And it's just not true. So the victims themselves absolutely 
Um, Esther had no choice. By the way, if you went to a harem, you would you were never allowed out. You could move harems and move positions in the harems, but you would never be free. You would never be free to go do what your dream was with your life. Pretty pretty amazing. Overwhelmingly um, greedy and and sad. Number two is the family members are impacted. Um, not just the victims themselves, but the extended family, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, aunts and uncles. You think of people, many of you in this room right now, you have been impacted by someone else's decisions driven by lust. And, and I'm sorry, many of you, it's terrible ramifications that you've faced today. And it's horrible if we took the time to go through the stories that might be represented here. But um, sin issues impact other people. And, and as I look around the room and I see, and many of you have stories and, and the challenges and the hurts and the heartaches. And, and I just want to say, you know, know that what I do matters, not just to me, but to God and to you. My lust could impact you. Your lust could impact me. We have to understand this is not just a privatized issue. Uh, there are many victims besides the people themselves. Number three is just, I, I thought I'd throw this in because the text really reveals it. Money and government. Money is such a huge part of lust. And government gets involved in our story. The King's Harem is a great example of this. Now, some scholars would tell you, um, you can read all kinds of numbers that probably in the harems were a hundred plus women. Others say it could have been over a thousand. So you really just don't don't know. But it was a lot. But think of the money spent just for housing uh, these harems, these these girls, for feeding them, for all the treatments that they undergo, for the servants that they had, the clothing, the gifts, the jewelry. Uh, it's you think that money make. Maybe could have been used for something a little bit better. <laughs> I think so. It's a perfect example of how lust and greed waste money that could be used on something good and powerful. And so I've seen how money is spent. I've seen people spend their entire paycheck because of a lustful night or a lustful moment. People who max out their credit card because of this need to satisfy the flesh. And so it, this play now, pay later concept hinders a lot of people. So we have to be aware of this and let's let God help us through these types of decisions. Number four is just the word favoritism. And, and this really pushes my button in a big way because the beautiful one gets the prize. Now, I'm happy it was Esther that found favor with the king, as we'll see in the next few weeks. This story has an amazing ending that saved the nation. So it is powerful. But in this moment, it's just not so pretty yet. How many people are impacted by comparisons in our world? Did you notice that because Esther was, quote, beautiful or something, she was moved into a special harem? And then she was given servants. She was given special beauty treatments. She was Why? All because Haggai said, this is a beautiful one, or the king would prefer someone like this. And it got me thinking. It got me thinking of all the issues that we have in our lives that cause our, the image of who we are to be tainted. And, and we compare ourselves with everyone in the world. Teenagers, I hope, just, and young people, listen to me right now, please. We love you. We believe in you. And, and you have it really tough. You're in a culture 
that has a really, really high measuring standard for what beautiful is. And you know what? You can't put an airbrush on yourself like magazines can. And, and what they call beautiful is an image, and it's elusive. And to chase after that, I mean, how thin do you have to be? What is it that you have to wear? What, what is the criteria that makes you beautiful? And you can bite the hook of these lies, and you can end up depressed and discouraged. And, and I think God sent me here to you this weekend to say, God loves you just the way you are, without changing anything. There's nothing wrong with trying to be relevant in this culture and dress nice and make yourself as pretty as you can. All of that's okay, but when it crosses the line and you begin to believe the lies that this country and this world puts us in to say, this is the criteria for beauty. You just walk down the aisles of a magazine aisle. I'm telling you, there's some beautiful people on these covers. When you see those muscle magazines, do you ever just think, how did they get a picture of my body to go on that cover? You know? It's scary because these are real issues and we try to fit in. And so I just want you to know God loves you. Don't, uh, don't buy, buy the lies that Satan wants you to buy into. But our culture is ruthless. And of course, on homecoming night, you get the zit on the end of your nose. Of course it's that night. God still loves you. God's still with you. He cares about you. And God has a purpose For you, no matter what others say, no matter where you are in the pecking order of life, this is a tough culture. Uh, Number five would just simply be more oppression. I just mentioned this before we move on because um, these are body treatments and and meals and maids. And all of a sudden, Esther has servants. And there's more people who get oppressed besides Esther. Now here she's taken out of a home. I mean, can you imagine sitting around having dinner with your family and the agents of the province come in and say, all right, all the girls outside, we'll take you and you, not you, uh, come with us, you're done. And, and think about what that does. And then all of a sudden there's servants and there's people involved and, and all of a sudden there's more oppression. Um, I just think it's so important, you guys, for us to understand that God has a plan for our lives and that we need to be the people who say, I will trust God. And And sometimes this phrase, I want to say this, insecurity, we all have it, just in different places sometimes, but we all have insecurity fuels compromise. Because we feel like, well, if if, if I just do this, then, then I'll be accepted here. And all of a sudden you can compromise your way into acceptance and give away everything that you should be really standing for. You with me? Say yes. Understand that? It's important for us to get that right and pay attention to it. Because sometimes uh, the best moments in our lives are the hardest moments of our life, the toughest challenges that I have faced. I don't like tough challenges, but when I go through the valley, so to speak, and I come out the other side, my character usually has been developed. And, and, and Esther's going to make a difference. I was, I was watching the other day, I was flipping through some of these old movie channels. I love old movies, and I don't watch that much TV, but I really got a kick out of this. I turned to it and um, recognized it immediately. It was an old movie that you're going to recognize. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. What is it? Jaws, you are so good. See, look at that. You, you knew that. Two notes. Isn't that amazing? What our, our minds are capable of. And, and I was, it was at the part where the guys were down under deck 
and Richard Dreyfus is this scientist who's trying to figure it out, and, and the guy driving the boat, remember that old guy, he's just crazy, he's just insane, and they're, all of a sudden he says, where'd you get that scar on your arm? And he rolls up his sleeve, and he says, that was a shark, such and such shark, and the other guy says, that's nothing. <laughs> pulls up and he's got this big scar on his shoulder or something. The other guy says, that's nothing. He, you know, puts his leg up. He's like pulling his pant leg up saying, this was... And all of a sudden, it sort of goes quiet. And there's this moment of respect that there's been a price paid for the research and the study that they have done. And I start thinking about that in light of our lives. You guys, all of us have scars. All of us today could say, there's debris in my life. And if we can live knowing that about each other, it will help us to release one another, to, to believe in one another, to have respect for the dignity of life. Even people who have been abused and gone through things that they would have never have created for themselves. And I just believe somehow, as a church like this, we can make a difference by investing in others and knowing that though we all have scars, that can become a powerful place of ministry in our own lives. Think about that. Number three. And this is, it gets better. Mordecai stays connected to Esther. I love this point. It's such a powerful point. Um, because Mordecai is going to counsel Esther through a really tough situation. Look at what it says in verse 10. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and her family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem. To find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Now, typically we would just read on to the next verse. But I want to stop for a second and ask a question. What is the courtyard of your life? In other words, do you realize the power of this moment that Mordecai knows where Esther is and he's walking the courtyard and I see it as like this, this line in the sand, this fence that says, that's the other side of the line and I'm not welcome over there. Shouldn't go there, couldn't go there. But I'm talking to people who are on that side. I can give counsel, I can care. Who is it in your life right now that might be trapped? That might have a hook in their life or an addiction? That, that just walking on the courtyard, just being available as a friend. Mordecai didn't say, oh, Esther's gone, she's in the harem, it's over. No. He, he remained close to her. He worked hard to stay connected to her. And I was just reminded. I felt, like, I felt like God was just putting it in my heart. Who can I stay connected to that's out there living in maybe a different lifestyle than I am? But I can walk the courtyard. And I can hear the story. And I can stay in touch. And I can make a phone call or send a note. Why? Because I love them. I care about them. Who is that person you work with that might have a hook in them that you can help? When their world falls apart, they'll call you. Who's in your neighborhood right now that you don't know a thing about? That God could have your path cross. All because you're willing to walk the courtyard like Mordecai did. Just to hear the news. Just to stay in touch with reality. Sometimes as Christians, you know what I fear? We're like really good at just like holding up in the same hole and just saying, Kumbaya, my Lord. You know, it's like, oh, this is wonderful. Let's sing another song. Yeah, okay. And, and before you know it, we're just isolated from reality. Instead, God's saying, go. Go be light in darkness. Go walk the street. Go, go, go by the courtyard. There are voices over there that need to, to speak to you. So let's remember that. And that's why in a church like this, I'm so thankful for you. 
being involved with my wife, Bonnie, is just hugely involved founding this You Count campaign. Hundreds of you have stepped on board with that. It's why we as a church have gotten involved with so many of these things like Project Rescue and International Justice Mission and so on. It's because we care. And it is our backyard. These girls are, are our neighbor. It's why you've given almost $400,000 to build a home of hope outside of Calcutta, India. And it's being built right now. And these little girls, believe me, it makes a difference in their life forever. That's why we do it. Because we care. And we're staying close to the courtyard. Number four, lust exploits the vulnerable and the helpless. It really does exploit the vulnerable and the helpless. I want to uh, read verse 12. And I want you to just really pay attention to how this is written. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed... She was given the prescribed, get this, 12 months of beauty treatments, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. When it was her time to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives lived. They, they made a change. They would never go back to the other place. There, she would be under the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Wow. See, lust turns people into objects. They exist for their own pleasure. Esther was an orphan. It's a sad part of the story. Number five, Esther was taken to King Xerxes. The last thing in your outline is important because it's sort of the end of explaining all about this. And next week we jump into what happened and how God would be there. But let me read verse 16 and following. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? And by the way, that word doesn't mean unconditionally with you know, unselfish motives. It means she pleased him more than any of the other women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. You know, I need to say, some people say, well, is it possible that King Xerxes may have fallen in love with Esther? It is possible. Uh, and that Esther fell in love with King Xerxes. I think it's highly unlikely, but, but you never know. All I know is that she ended up in this position for whatever reason. If it was the favor of God for a, a, a future use, though God would not put her in that situation. He never wastes moments of our lives, even if we're in painful situations. This lust manipulated. And I think it's important to ask this question. And I wrap up with this. When you read this story and we read these verses together, do you ever just have the thought, where is God? How can God... How can God let a king get away with stuff like this? How can, how can this just be, how can it just be that God goes silent 
And, and sometimes I, I feel sad about that because it's like if you could just be king for a day, as I've said, you know, just, just think of what you could get done with people like that and removing them from the earth, <laughs> right? How many of you understand what I'm talking about? It's just you, you want that power. Some of you are there now. Where is God? What's going on in my life? Where is He? Why is He silent? All I can do is say this. God was with Esther every single moment of every single day. God does not spare so many from pain in this world. This earth right now is filled with injustice. God will one day reign. But now, dominion on this earth, that's why these things happen and these things take place. And it's not easy. But you can know that while we live on this earth, there is the hope that God is always with us. And He will use any situation that we face in a way that can glorify His name as we come out of that. Even in the pain. And that's why I want to pray for some of you today. Many of you are going through hardships that you can't understand. It's beyond, and you wonder where God is right now. God is there, and He does love you, and He does care about the pain in your life. Would you pray with me right now, Lord? It's a very sobering moment. So we look at Esther and what she endured and the challenges in her life. It's just so challenging. With heads bowed, I just ask a couple things. First of all, those of you that maybe have been a victim of another's lust. And again, I want to say it again. If if that's been under the blood, don't dig it up right now. Don't go back to that pain. But for some of you, maybe you've ever, never had a, a starting moment to say, right now, I need healing. And I'm acknowledging that pain is real. It's a hindrance in my life. And though you can't, you're not capable of completely forgetting it, I believe God can heal it to the place that the wound can heal. And you may bear a scar, but the wound can heal. And you don't have to live in the pain of it the rest of your life. And I know this is really personal and private, so you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. But if you're comfortable, for, for you, not for me. But if you want to just put your hand up in front of your chest right now just to say, God, that's me. I'm just going to pray over you. Hold it up if you want to. Okay. God bless you. Men and women. Anyone else? Okay. Church, help me pray for these. Lord, it's a serious moment. It's life-changing. We gather around these precious ones whom you love, who you died for, Lord, who you care about. And we ask you right now to begin a process of healing in their lives that is so redeeming and so powerful that it's just the beginning that marks a new journey for them. I just pray, God, that they've opened themselves up to you and, and that you will not walk away from this moment without touching them deeply. I just ask those of you that lifted your hands or you didn't, but you know it's you, open your heart right now. Say yes to this moment of healing, of a restart, of a fresh beginning. Secondly, those of you that would say, you know what, God's putting people in my life. I need to be about the courtyard. I need to hear the story. I need. I have people at work who need me. I've, I'm working with people who are addicted to stuff, and, and I can't make light of that anymore. I want to be a helper. And maybe you can be a Mordecai to people who, who God's putting in your world. 
Maybe you can think of a name or a family or someone. Maybe it's a victim. You just need to befriend them. Just right now, Lord, put those people in our path and help us to go to them, to touch them, to care about them in our world. And lastly, it would be crazy to go through this without this one. And again, I don't want you to raise your hand, but just we all need self-control. I raise my hand to this. We all need to learn how to be disciplined in our mind and lives. But for some of you, it's, 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 it's taken over your life. It's an addictive behavior that just, man, those, it's so compelling and it's just really tough. And right now, I'm just going to ask that you give this to God. And instead of just trying to think what not to do, a new strategy to say, what do I want to do? Who do I want to become? How, can, how do I want to respond? Lord, I pray over these right now, all of us really, that we will be people of God in a way that please you with our hands, our eyes, our mind, our heart, our bodies. God, that we would never use someone else for our own pleasure. That we would never be users like King Xerxes was. That we would be people who would love wholeheartedly and fully We would see the best and we would honor and respect life. God, I pray that you would give us answers when we're tempted. To be able to resist that temptation and use our hands and eyes and minds in ways that add to the kingdom of God and add to the value of the kingdom of God. Lord, give us that creativity today. And Lord, for those who've been living in shame for whatever happened to them or the challenges, I just pray you would just take that blanket off of them in the name of Jesus today. That they would be free of it strong in your power. Thank you. The way that you enable us, it makes a difference in our lives forever, Lord, and we love you. We give our lives to you. And maybe with no one looking around, there's one or two or ten or twenty in this room that would say, I'm new or I don't know Christ. I've not taken that step. Um, I just, first of all, want to say thank you for being at Timberline. It's a safe place for you to ask questions. Um, We don't understand God fully either. But we respect you and your journey. And if it's today that you want to follow Christ, just say this with me. Lord, I come to you now. I give you my life. I believe you have purpose for me. Forgive me of my sin. By faith I ask that. I believe you died for that sin on the cross and rose from the dead. And I give you my future. Help me to forgive myself now and to get up and live in that grace and walk in obedience to you. In your name we pray these things, Lord. We love you. Amen. If our prayer team would come right now and be available, some of you just need to connect with someone and pray. We also have ministries that will help you in your journey. I know it's confidential and private, but if you want to confide with someone, we can help send you to the right place to get some help and further direction. Hey, lots of tables out there. Youth sign up, marriage retreat. The symphony tickets are out there. The biggest thing is as you walk out of here today, make a commitment to let love live by being godly and by doing what God asks of you. I love you tons. God bless you. Go in the grace of Jesus Christ. Have a great rest of your weekend.